Yeah, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I have a really great episode for you, but first, please, if you're enjoying listening to the show, go send someone to the site, beyondafigures.com, and tell them to sign up for the newsletter so when a new episode comes out, they'll be the first to know about it. All right, today I have Carlo Romero, and I'm really excited to kind of talk about skiing and what he's done, but first, Carlo, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me, AJ. I like the way you pronounce it in the Spanish way. That's unusual in the English-speaking countries. I am horrible. Even my Spanglish is bad. But I was really fascinated. First one, I love that you're from Marbella because I've been living down on the coast of Sol for the past five years until recently when I moved back to the States and such a beautiful area. And here you are, this freestyle skiing and snowboarding, and yet you come from one of the areas that most people on the planet, if they even know about Marbella, are thinking beach. So where did this skiing background come from for you? I guess you always want what you don't have, right? So um, I assume people in Scandinavia that would love to go to the beach and play some golf. I liked, I was just wondering all the time when would be my next ski trip. My first time skiing, I'm actually a snowboarder, so, so not the best skier. Hopefully yeah, with Vimbu, I'll become a bit better of a skier, but most of my time has been on, on a snowboard. But I started snowboarding in Czech Republic in a small ski resort called Spinder of Lim. And I used to do with my family, like one ski trip a year with my brother and my mom. And that's how it started for me just to really fall in love with it really quick. So I started snowboarding when I was six years old in Czech Republic. And then I would do it for a couple of years, just once a year until I was 11. And then when I was 11 is when I decided, hey, I would like to sign up to a snowboard club and start doing my first season from there on onwards. That is really cool. Yeah. My son, I used to take him also on ski trips and he was like, oh, I want to do that. So your parents were a lot more um, encouraged. I was like, I don't know if you want it to go live your life. But it is so cool that you ended up doing that because as we were chatting a little before, Vimbo is such a cool app because it is so difficult to find good ski instructors, good lessons. It's a very convoluted process. Each mountain has their own rules, everything. I love what this can do as you expand out into a broader audience. I appreciate the words. Yeah, I mean, especially in the US, you see each resort completely being different. I think in Europe, it's more on a national level where there's some differences. So there's a difference between, for example, lessons, how you get them in Spain and how you get them in France or Italy. But then in the US, since the market was monopolistic, so what I mean by that is that each resort has its own ski school compared to Europe, where it's a free market, where each resort, there's like 30 ski schools and they're just like family owned. Things are are done slightly different. I think an issue with Europe, it's, it's completely how outdated it is. Not that North America is better, but North America, at least there's only one corporation that does it, a resort. But in, in, in Europe, when there's 30 ski schools, most of them have been around for the past 70 years. And the way that you get a ski lesson today and the way that probably you got a lesson when you started skiing, it's not really that different, right? You have to call them up, ask for the availability. Uh, they'll tell you pricing and all of that. And then hopefully, I mean, nowadays, you can at least go and trip advice and compare them. But even then, you actually don't know what you're getting, right? You just know a couple of reviews from the ski school as a whole, but you could get AJ, who is an amazing ski instructor, or you could get Bobby and Bobby's really bad instructor and he'll ruin your holidays, right? And that dependency on, 
and an antique system is kind of what started it. I mean, I used to be a professional snowboarder, but not since day one, right? I had to take my first lessons and coming from a middle-class family, skiing is quite expensive. So I grew up with a divorced mum, my brother and I, but we liked going snowboarding. So I remember my mum herself, instead of going to normal ski school, because they were fairly expensive. I know in the US, they're even more expensive, but like in Europe, let's say a lesson costs around 65, 70 euros per hour, a private lesson, but then a shock only gets paid like 15, 20. So there's quite a big difference there. So what my mom would do is she'd try to just find instructors herself, like that she would see people who dressed as instructors and say, hey, could I pay you in cash? And could you teach my kids how to how to snowboard? So my mom, yeah, she basically did an MVP of Bimbu 20 years before Bimbu actually got created. But yeah, that's how it kind of started. And then by the time I was 11, I then stopped having instructors and it started being more of a training mode. But even then, snowboarding is... It's quite an inaccessible sport. And by snowboarding, I also, of course, mean skiing, right? There's a lot of sports nowadays, which they have, let's say, instructor-led lessons, but not all of them have this pricing, right? And there's several factors why skiing is expensive. You have to travel, you have to get lodging, the ski pass, everything like that. But the actual lessons should not be that bad of a system and for that price. So that as well, like when I started getting better in snowboarding, I started being roommates as a teenager with other ski instructors and everything. And I just saw how, how much inefficiency there is there. And that's what kind of caused to add technology. I mean, you know, well, like I had a previous startup before Bimbo, which was completely not unrelated to skiing and snowboarding. And I would never thought I was going to come back to the sport that I thought I was going to do as a hobby. But when I transitioned from my first startup in, into this one, the last thing I would expect is to go back into what I did as a passion, but doing it on the technical side to improve that. But yeah, the, the reason why I was just years after retiring from competitive snowboarding, I would still get people, hey, I'm going this Christmas to, let's say, Sierra Nevada, which is close to where you used to live in South Spain. And they would say, hey, do you know any shock that I could teach us for cheaper and all of that? So basically, I could still see the reoccurring problem. And that's when I decided to use the technical skills I had, because as much as I was a snowboarder when I was a teenager, I was also really big, really nerdy into coding. So then I was like, yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff which in 2022 or 2021, 2020, you could do better than the current system. I mean, if you guys just, whoever's listening to this, go to any ski schools websites around Europe and check them out. It looks like Web 1.0 days. Yeah. And like even the most advanced in the space, like the Yetis and stuff like that are barely Web 2.0 and they are very lead gen focused. And, you know, you don't get good information. You don't get good communication. So the price and a very packaged experience, not a very adaptive. It's not a very good experience. And just quickly for Americans, what I've learned is as America has gotten so crazy with its costs, I've literally been able to fly and spend a week in the Dolomites, ski instructor, have a full personal guide all day for cheaper than it would be just to fly out to Colorado and the day passes and the local hotels and everything. You know, and I got Italy on top of it as the fun. So it's like, it is crazy looking at just how different the cultures are. In America, the companies that run each of the mountains or the ski areas, as now some of them are expanding to multiple mountains, they have just an in-house ski school with in-house instructors, either private or group lessons. In Europe, and in other places, it's more open and depends. Like Switzerland has a really high training, Italy less training. <laughs> I think that goes for most of Italy's in comparison to, <laughs> to Switzerland. But they don't so much compete in price, but they are different types of culture, different types of experiences. And it's hard to understand that, especially when you're going someplace for the first time and you haven't experienced 
one school versus another's type of things or just the, the previous knowledge. So that's why I was so fascinated about Vimbo when I looked at it because I had just planned and just dealt with everything to go to Italy when this came out. I was like, ah, if only you were in Italy and if only, yeah. So this is really fascinating. All right. But before we go off and too far on the tangent about how cool I think this is, where do you see yourself as an entrepreneur now? And where do you really want to be you know, developing your entrepreneurial journey as you move forward? That's a good question. The way I see myself now is in high learning period. And hopefully it doesn't stop at any time soon. And hopefully in the future, it will still be there just with learning different things. I think the most time spent as a founder of a company or just in the space, you realize how much you've learned. Um, I think something for me that's very important and is like to the question of where do I see myself in the future? I would like to look at myself when I'm in the future. I'd like to look at myself today and feel like I was clueless. Just like I feel two years ago, I was maybe quite smart, but I still think there was a lot of stuff that I'm really thankful to have learned. The thing that I like the most is that you don't know what you don't know in business until until you reach, let's say, that stage, or let's say, even if you reach really higher stages of any company, but then if you start in a new market, in a new industry, you get humbled as well by how much there's to learn. And I think that's what brings me the most joy. So where do I see myself? I would say hopefully a bit more successful than I am today, but that's not just the main thing, but just I would like to feel like I'm more interesting if I'd have been able to speak myself now with me myself in the future. I would like to see a progression of that. It's not just doing day-to-day -day operations and seeing that, but also understanding, like if I could go back in the past, I could make them probably go in a faster way, or I'd probably maybe have done it in a completely different way, whichever it is that, uh, that I learn. And I think this is actually quite similar to how it is in snowboarding, right? In snowboarding, when you do, like, especially what I did, which was slope style. So that means I used to do jumps, rails, and all of that. Something that was really important for me is to keep progressing, keep catching when I, before I was a pro, keep getting closer to the pro level. And then when I was a pro level, it was, okay, well, what in the world ranking am I? What tricks needs to be done? And I think something that is very important to me is, well, back then as a snowboarder, I would get a lot of adrenaline from trying something new, right? A new trick, let's say adding a new flip. So if I instead of a double flip to go to a triple uh, or to from do like add more spins to whatever, right? So instead of a 1080, do a 1260. So that's like, you know, half rotations. But I think this same excitement, I'm really reliving it right now on the business level. When I just see how the company's growing, something like a go-to-market strategies that we've applied, it's working out. Or the coolest thing is, this, especially when you discover a new way and it starts working. So you think, oh, this is the way that we have to go into this market. And once you go in, you're like, oh, wow, what about this idea? And, and I think that's what brings me a lot more joy than even learning a new trick. So I, I might be a bit more boring nowadays. I'm not traveling the world. I'm not upside down most of the time. <laughs> but I still think that the amount of fun that I'm getting is quite a lot higher, even though it's a lot just inside my mind. So just to reiterate on the question itself is I want a lot of the stuff of the progression to happen in my mind itself and hopefully as well just inside the company around uh, everything like that but i know the question was more about a personal one so yeah for me it'd be just the same progression i had in snowboarding from day one till till pro to have that also on a business level where my mind can do 1260s but in a business level <laughs> okay that is probably the coolest description and metaphor yeah, usage of an example thereof i've had so far in the show i mean 1260s pretty impressive since I barely get air. I used to try when I was a teenager to get air. Nowadays, it's like I try and make sure I don't get air when I'm skiing. But that is such a cool as the progression because there's the adrenaline to try it. There's the accomplishment in getting it done and doing it. And then that sort of skill set of being able to do it under 
tension and competition. Those are all kinds of like different experiences and different things. But that's similar to sort of running a business. I love that because it's like one is, oh my God, someone's going to actually use this to then like, oh, we're growing. We're kind of figuring things out. Oh, wait, we have a business that's running and I'm actually making it better and I'm adding value to it. Those are very challenging aspects of the business that feed different parts of sort of what that means for you. But you actually said something I would love to ask you. What are you finding as you grow that is humbling in the business that you didn't expect you know, ahead of time? Because that's always those things you don't know before you get there. What are you finding humbling? What do you see trying to understand how to do that moving forward or deal with it moving forward? I'm, I'm going to massacre the trick piece. So we'll, we'll get back to just basic. Honestly, I can't say that there's a single specific part that was not humbling. So you get humbled as well when you start hiring or when you do your rounds. Like also, not, I mean, rounds, people like think them too much as milestones. I see them as a preparation towards achieving those milestones. And it's understanding like different stages and like what happens after. I think that's the most humbling is you've reached this, now what? Whereas before you didn't even know that there was going to be now what? You saw from start till success, maybe just like three phases. But then when you get into it, you get humbled. It's like, I think the humbling part is, okay, you've gotten your first customer. Okay, you've gotten your 100th customer. You've got your 1,000th customer. That's one part of it. And it's the more that happens, I think something humbling is that there's not a one entrepreneur fits all. And I think this is why as well, uh, when you see, let's say, a Sequoia invest in a startup in Series B level, Series C, uh, you see the founders actually, or like this person who's a CEO back before that, they get replaced. And I think something that when it comes to being humbled is that either you have to constantly adapt yourself to where the company is, and not just adapt, but also understand the next five steps of where to take it so so, it, so, so that progression keeps happening. But otherwise, you're just not, like, as I say, there's a lot of founders, which I think are really good for early stage. And there's a lot of founders, which are, well, let's say, maybe not founders then, but like this um, C-level, C-suit or later stage. And this is why, as I said, an example, you see a lot of stuff when once a company reaches product market fit and much, much, once they're much more in a growth phase, maybe some people are not the correct people to run it, right? And I think back to the humbling part is that it's never enough to be as good as you are today. And you always have to be better, not just you, but you start from yourself, but then it's also the company has to be better. And there's a lot of, uh, well, of course, I mean, this is, sounds quite obvious, but there's a lot of responsibility on the company being better. And I think that's, there's not like a turn off button where in another job you can do your part, you're, you're giving this task and you just have to complete it here. Like what exactly is the task? You, you might turn some short, uh, short-term task for yourself. Oh yeah, I need to reply to AJ's e- email, right? There's that task. But when it comes to what are the tasks for you to continue growing your company, it's not like given to you. And so you have to put that into a direction and constantly that being improved. So it's not the fact that you can just keep improving it, but you also have to understand, okay, at this stage, we can't no longer just keep improving in the same way that we were doing, right? So what's next? How do we continue becoming smarter? How, let's say, for those who are here from tech startups, okay, now we just acquired a customer. Let's say you've just been focusing on marketing. But now let's say you have that customer. How well do you understand what that customer is doing on your site? What data can you get from it? How can you make it better? Could you have maybe upsold them more? And those are different questions. Like, let's say, how could we make the recurring revenue from this customer increase over time? That's a different type of thought you have from the very beginning when you're just like, well, how do we acquire customers in the first place? Or do even customers want that, right? So the type of questions you have to answer and have to be not just good at, but you have to be at the top 0.01% in these fields if you want to master it, right? People get too comfortable that 
as soon as something works. And this is why most, like, let's say, normal startups, they, uh, even the successful ones, they end up in a similar position where there's very few of those that keep growing even when they are doing 500 million in annual recurring revenue. Well, you have to continue seeing that as a, well, how do we improve that, right? If there's availability for you to get more market share, the way that you get market share normally does change over time. It's that constant adaption. And it's funny, I ran, I may massacre this comparison also, but I would love to learn like how you find ways to deal with this constant humbling you're talking about to adapt and grow. Because I also was an athlete for a long time into university running and track was very straightforward because at the end of the day, there was, you know, the progression points was sort of set times. You knew, yes, there was coaching. You had to do your own individual reps, your own individual training, your own work on keeping yourself focused and building your own capabilities. And then the coach would guide you in sort of how to do that. But at the end of the day, you knew where the times were. <laughs> you know, it was like, if I could go over the hurdles in 13 steps per and alternate, da, 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 this and da, da, that was what, what you did, I think, probably lends itself more to the open style. And I'm going to just step on that because you were doing something that was a combination of very exacting physical necessity along with open creativity. That, in a sense, lends itself more to what I see as entrepreneurism, which is that exacting process combined with the creative use of that capability of XXXXYYY twist, where I think most sports, it's like, go fast, run, hit, do this. Yeah, there is tons of things you learn, but not that creative. So now that I've kind of belabored that point, how does it compare from the effort you had to put in to become a professional snowboarder compared to now this? And then how, and just in general, what do you do to deal with these changes, this humbling you're seeing? as you move forward. Okay, I'll say what is similar and what is not similar from different yeah. stages. Something that's similar, let's say, about snowboarding and a startup, at least at least it is for me. Snowboarding, as much as there's a competitive fact of it, it's there's very little it's competitions. It's just like, sure, it's a way that you can get sponsors. It's a way that the national team can help you. Even in professional snowboarding, they do it for the competition level. As you can see in other sports, competition is the main stake, right? So let's say if you play a tennis match, it's to beat the person in front of you. It's not just to cruise around in between the trees and look at nature. Let's say if you do sprint, if you're a 100 meter sprinter, it's specifically about getting fast, as you said. In snowboarding, it's a lot of fun to do it. As much as there's a competitive factor to it, it's just also fun to not do it always at the extreme level, but just sometimes, hey, just enjoy some powder turns, go in between the trees, see your friend who's a lot, let's say, at different levels, but just your brother, maybe he's not a pro or whatever, try his first backflip. There's a lot of a factor there that is quite different it's and this is where like where is it the similarity between a being a sport and being a lifestyle right i mean you see specific sports have their own lifestyle as well let's say like bouldering surfing there's like a specific stereotype yeah. you can imagine with them and that's because there's more there's a bit more to it so how does that relate exactly and how is it a similarity to a startup is the fact that a startup is unless you're kind of doing it because you're forced but i mean very few people are forced to create a startup a lot of what you do is just interesting too so in my own time i just really like to read about stuff that affects my startup but it's i don't do it necessarily always just to grow my startup but i just it's something that i'm interested in just like for example there's i like to understand how in marketplaces network effects work i just like to also hear other people's businesses it's something that attracts me and it's something that if i right now i wouldn't have a startup 
I'd be doing doing it for fun, right? I'd probably be sitting and listening to your podcast and learning from it. And there's a lot of experiences like this where I think the people who find it interesting are also the ones who are likely to then create that into a startup because but just through your interest, let's say understanding business, a lot of people don't see it as a hobby, but it also, in my opinion, it is. And having this hobby is what then allows you to create a startup or to make it better. And I think that's the similarities that I was snowboarding a lot just for fun and the competition factors, the result of it. But it was not like I was learning a new trick because I wanted to win a competition. I was learning a new trick because I felt I was ready for it and I was just a lot of fun and maybe a bit of peer pressure from my other friends and stuff that were around me, all of that. But there's the fact that I would just really look forward to like, let's say the first day I did a double backflip. I was really planning to it. I remember I would just speak to my mom about it. It was the same as say, when you go skydiving, right? It's something that you look forward to. And that's something how I did. In other sports, maybe you don't necessarily look forward. You look forward to, I don't know, winning the Wimbledon, but you don't necessarily look forward to hitting a right hand or whatever it is. Not that those sports aren't fun, and especially I, I love many sports, but I do think that you can do stuff really as a hobby in, in a sense that it will bring you to the other level. And I think with business, it's the same. What I don't think is the same though, is the direction, right? In snowboarding, let's say, if you want to go back to the competitive factor, there's a specific direction at the end of the day, even though it's a lot more, that's why they call it freestyle snowboarding. There's a lot more expression. You can have your own style and everything. There's still a specific understanding that you can either go so many times upside down or so many times to the side, but that's what's different, right? In a startup, you kind of, yeah, you know, you can know the end goal or like not the end goal, more like end of end results, right? You can know like, sure, a startup can make 10 million ARR, sure, a startup, but then how you reach there is completely different, right? And I think that's where even this more difference between the sports, uh, between sports no, life and out of life. Yeah, very true. I mean, definitely when starting and sort of in the early phases, you have such an open field, it's almost later where all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, we're still being creative and open, but now we also have XYZ processes. We have our tech development, finance, and all these things that sort of fall in to allow that creativity to continue get these pretty much set things with some variations obviously of well thank you for indulging me on that but now that you're expanding you're looking at broader things the marketplace especially in the european looking at that it is complex to deal with this type of multi-sided marketplace here what are you doing to help yourself grow as an entrepreneur what helps you become better at this researching and I know that sounds fairly obvious, but I think to become better, you need to not only be interested in something, but it's also, there's several steps, I think, to uh, to become better in anything. And it's not just necessarily entrepreneur, but especially here, because I mean, some other stuff you don't necessarily, you can just start without researching as much, but when you have a company and the responsibility of a team and everything, then you can't just play around and try stuff without fully understanding what you're doing. I mean, hopefully, I hope that's at least yeah. for most startups, right? But I think the first is, Number one is understanding that there's a need for this. So let's say you need to understand your customer better. Let's say just we'll go back to the same example I gave before. You need to implement data analytics. You maybe have no experience about that, right? So then you need to fully understand it, start researching it and fully understand it or understand it to such a level where you can, let's say, if you want to do a hire, you're capable of understanding what is a good hire and what is a bad hire. The worst thing is when you're just clueless and you don't want to do something because you think, oh, well, this is not my line of expertise, so I'll just find someone who will do it. But I think that's where you just allow someone to do something necessarily, but you have no idea of how to do it, right? And then the reason why that's bad is because, especially at early stages, but I mean, of course, at any stage, capital is never unlimited. But when you have limited capital, you can only do so much with it. So it's really important that every single person you bring into your team 
is exactly the perfect fit, not just for the team, but also for what you guys are trying to achieve. And I think that's where you to having a general understanding of stuff before you just allow it to go in its own phase. That's important. So that would be step two is to understand. Then is to be consistent. I think it's, it's always be interested in it and know what it is you have to learn, learn it, and then be consistently always updating on yourself on it. Now, of course, the bigger the company it is, you're not going to make, for example, I'm sure Tim Cook doesn't exactly know everything that's going on in customer support for Apple, right? But I think consistently being up to date with all extremities of the company, I think that's where it's good. And I think this is where you're not, by consistent, it's not just consistent interest, but it's also consistent researching. You always have to be on that level. And I think that's what maybe makes an entrepreneur is number one, understand where you lack stuff. I think knowing your weaknesses uh, so far is, is the most important. And I think that's actually the hardest thing to know is finding out what you don't know is, yes, it's not easy, right? Because unless you speak to much, much smarter people that will point it out to you or just reality hits you, it's hard just to guess what you don't know, right? I mean, sure, you can know right now, hey, I know nothing about astrophysics, right? If you're not interested in that, that's easy. But then necessarily inside a company where you don't know or how to make it better, that's a hard one. But once you do that, I like everything, every single thing that I do decide to do on to know, I think, as much as I possibly can or enough to be able for it to be impactful in my company. And I think that's those three steps, knowing what you don't know, then researching and then consistent being consistent with it makes a better entrepreneur. I agree. I think those are really powerful because I think what many people don't expect is a lot of times as an entrepreneur, you don't know what you don't know. So like someone outside who isn't in the experience of saying, well, of course, you're just going to learn what you need to do when you learn it. It's like, well, sometimes you don't even know something exists. Even if you know something exists, you don't know something exists. That thing you kind of know could fit in this position you're in unless you're consistently evaluating where you are, what you are, and how things can come in. I've learned the hard way a lot of times. Growing faster than my capabilities, both to manage, but then also the infrastructure I've built. That process of, as you were saying, being more deliberate, you know, being, bringing that in. I think, yeah, that's probably the only way as an entrepreneur where you can consistently ensure you're growing by practicing that. That is really cool. Let's talk a little bit about where you want to go with this app. Because you said something earlier about other services. Do you see this like growing beyond skiing? And I keep saying skiing, but to me, skiing, it's like anything going downhill. Snowboarding and skiing to me are both the same, even though I know you have to kind of keep saying them separately. Yeah, I say I, I, I say it together as well. I just say skiing. When, or like sometimes I would use winter sports, but most of the time I just say it's a skiing app. Yeah, so... Where do you see yourself bringing this? And do you see it expanding beyond just winter sports or even just going down the slope? Do you see it cross country? Do you see it you know, other forms of winter sports? Where do you see this go? Okay, so there's three different, let's say, parameters that I see it being affected and especially when it comes to growth. Number one is, of course, geographical expansion. I mean, skiing and snowboarding or just winter sports, whatever, and let's, uh, won't be, but yeah, just uh, skiing is, it's quite a big market and it exists in a lot of countries, right? We're still in a very few of them. We have this good market share in those countries we're in, but uh, hopefully I mean, next winter, we expect to be in seven countries more. And it's not just the countries, but it's also the amount of resorts you're in. And then within the resorts is how many instructors are on your platform. So there's the geographic side, right? Which is very important, especially if you want to reach the higher total addressable market. But then of course, as you mentioned really well right now we're mostly speaking about skiing realistically and something that we actually well, i can already announce is that we will this summer we'll be expanding to more sports and that's something because 
at the end of the day? Well, there's several reasons. Number one, I'll use, I'll talk from the customer's perspective and from the market level. The problems you get in skiing when you go to a ski school are very similar to when you want to get a surf school, right? You still have to go online. You still have to research different places, go on TripAdvisor. And sure, I mean, it's our app is not like it's more specific to one sport or another. It's more of, let's say, we allow you to connect with your perfect fit for whichever sport you're trying to do for a fraction of the price of existing market without having a physical location in each resort, right? Or in this case, it'd be beach. So this summer, something we're doing is water sports and outdoor sports. And the reason for this on a more business level is number one, a lot of our instructors are ski instructors in the winter, but then there's surf instructors in the summer or there are mountain guides. So that affects a lot. Another thing is also the partnerships we have in place right now. So let's say we have a partnership with a hotel. They have 3000 customers a month, 10% of them need lessons. Normally that they would bring them to us in winter, but we'd like to extend those partnerships into summer. So we'll still have a similar model, but maybe instead of skiing, it's mountain biking, right? And then we also have like some other bigger partnerships, like for example, a new partnership we recently started working with is with Decathlon. I'm not sure if they're around in the US. Oh, but yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Online, in, online. Yeah. Yeah. So Decathlon is in Europe. It's one of the biggest sports goods stores. And this winter, if you bought skis or snowboards in Decathlon, you had Wimbu lessons included. And that's something that we are keen on expanding, of course, uh, for other sports, right? So if you buy a surfboard, if you buy a paddle racket, uh, by paddle, I know like it's not that big in the US yet, but in, in Europe, it's growing a lot. Uh, it's like the, similar to tennis, but with walls around you. Basically, what we'd like to be is you want to try a new sport tomorrow, whether it is kayaking in Brazil, hiking in, uh, in Austria or surfing in Australia, you'd go to Vimbu instead of having to spend a lot of time researching and pay less, of course. So that's where it is on, on other sports. And where this also comes into play, it's something that we've just introduced recently is a subscription model. Right now, you normally until, until now, Vimbu, you'd only be able to just pay for your lesson and you'd be able to meet with your instructor and everything. But now it's we, we're doing a subscription model where you can pay per month, just like a gym membership, but join group lessons for other outdoor sports. And I'm not sure about the listener here, but there's a lot of people that like being active, but not just to be in shape and just lift weights, but they also just like, would like to do sports. And maybe AJ, you have amazing friends, but some people maybe don't. And like, let's say right now, instead of me going and taking a couple of beers with the friends, I would like to try a new sport, but none of my friends really want to try it. So then I'll just be able to go through Vimbu and find a group lesson and find other people to learn the sport with. And basically this is something that we're pretty excited about. It's we'll still, of course, keep direct lessons, but if you're someone who's going to be doing a substantial amount of lessons, uh, you might as well pay, like join a subscription model, which is fairly interesting for us, of course, as well, because oh, on the business level, it, it's a recurring revenue. It also takes away seasonality, but it also works really well when you have a community of people that want to try a lot of sports and it's not just sports, sports specific, right? So the same gym membership would allow you to go kayaking, would also allow you to go skiing and for the price of a normal gym membership. That is really cool. And I guess, would this be more focused just from density? you know, first be sort of European cities as, you know, people in your various European cities. Like I have a strategist since you're in Amsterdam, one of my lead strategists, she's in Amsterdam. So would it be for like, oh, she's there, she would sign and then she could, oh, okay, these things in Amsterdam. And then, oh yeah, I can travel and do these things during the winter. Or if I want to add this on during my summer vacation, different locations. Yeah, on the geographical level, we are right now focused on Europe. I know a lot of startups, I mean, especially because the whole startup scene uh, has really moved in, in Silicon Valley. It's how quickly can you get into the US if you're outside of the US. For us, the US is an interesting market, but not specifically that much for skiing and snowboarding, because unfortunately, there's a monopoly that each resort has its own school. So there we'd be competing against the resort itself 
Whereas in Europe, we work with the resorts because we bring them more customers and allow you to buy the ski pass through us and all of that. So for other sports, of course, like surfing and that, it is interesting. And maybe we do have a go-to-market strategy just for skiing and snowboarding, how we'd enter the North American market. But realistically, if we'd have to expand to another continent tomorrow, or like another country outside of a different continent, it would actually be China. I know it's not the most obvious one, and it seems quite daunting, which it is. But realistically, this is because China is the fastest growing market right now in skiing and snowboarding. Just eight years ago, there were 260 ski resorts. Now there's 780. So the number of ski resorts more than tripled in just eight years. There were only 2 million skiers a year in China 10 years ago. Now there's 25 million skiers in China. So it's more than 10x. And when there's so many new skiers in a country, what becomes very interesting is that a lot of them are new, right? So a lot of them need lessons. There's not an infrastructure right now in China. Also, it helps that I speak Mandarin. But I mean, when we expand to China, it won't be me running the Chinese part, of course, because you understand how business is in China. But yeah, about the US, I think it is going to be within the next three, four years, but it's not as substantial of a market right now, especially if we focus on winter sports. It's not as substantial enough of a market right now for us to go through the headaches. Basically, right now, of the whole market, like let's say the 7 billion in ski and snowboard lessons a year, if like close to 80% of that is available where there's it's, it's a free market where you could, could just get, you need to, I mean, of course, you get insurance, you get the license, but you become a ski school. And we think that that 80% is right now for us with the capital that we have, with the team that we have, and just the age that we have as a company. It's easy to go into markets where expansion is slightly easier, even though adoption by customers in the US is a lot better than, let's say, Austria. Now, I think in the US, people are more prone to things being technologically, let's use this word, but it's overused, disrupted. In the US, people are used to that. In some other countries, maybe not so much. But then, of course, when you think about from all the obstacles you have on a legal level to get in, it becomes different, right? I think the US, a big problem is with the fact that the resort is, the actual resort doesn't own the mountain. It's normally a green area in the US. What happens though is that the resorts, let's say Vail, Rail Resorts or Aspen, they actually own the chairlifts, right? So they could say, sure, you can use the mountain, but you're going to have to walk it up. And of course, we don't want our instructors now to walk up uh, slopes. But sooner or later, we will be there. And there's two ways which we could get into the US. One is a more aggressive strategy, and one is a bit more working with these large monopolies. Yeah, I mean, Vail Corporation in the US, Vail and a few others own a significant amount of the mountain. So yeah, you could potentially go there. But even just taking a step back, I didn't even know that about China. And here I am, my big bucket list is Japan. Now all of a sudden I'm getting, as soon as we finish this interview, I'm going to be checking out the uh, mountains in China. You're looking, as you talked about, one, just the expansion from region, but then also the expansion of services. You're talking about significantly large TAM at this total adjustable market. You have a really big BHAG here, (laughs) you're looking at. You're not just talking about a few things. You're really looking at very, very large opportunity. What is success going to be for you? How are you going to define success? You just painted something huge, potentially huge for this, but what's going to be the success for you? How are you going to look at your success as an entrepreneur, not the success of the app? Yeah, so you hit on the nail, right? That the two things, at least for me in my stage that I'm in now, they're very intertwined. So it's hard for me to sometimes distance myself what it is for me and what it is for Vimbu. And I don't think I've thought of that, that necessarily enough to give the most suitable answer for people, let's say, the listener to take something in. So if you don't mind, I'll very quickly say what it is I want for Vimbu. And then I'll say, I think, how yeah. might necessarily that affects. So the goal for Vimbu is for your children, your mom, people of any age. Of course, they'll be probably doing different sports, but it's uh, to have the app all the time on the phone instead of just 
download it, go skiing for a week, have the GPS and everything like that we have inside the app. But it's all just as many people as probably use gym memberships to also be using this in a fun way because it's not just to get in shape, but it's also to you'll meet people through. So that's kind of where I see Bimboo in the medium term. I always think that there's more to that. I mean, I think, let's say if you look at Facebook, he just thought he was going to have a huge social network. And then you start doing a lot of stuff with Google. It was supposed to be a way to search for stuff online. And now they have, of course, Google Cloud. There's a lot of different stuff that you don't expect at the beginning. Now, where do I come into play? For me, the word as an entrepreneur is hard to fathom, right? Now, as a person for me, I always want to feel like there's more I can give, but I also want to feel like a bit more satisfied with what has been done so far than maybe I am right now. I think right now, well, I think that what happens a lot is when you're an entrepreneur, you always think that you could be giving more or like things could have been going better. So I think what a successful entrepreneur, like in, in the scenario for like internally would be feeling that success uh, on yourself. But I think it comes into play again. For me, it's more of, I only get one life, right? And it's how much can I use this life? Maybe this is egotistical, but to have fun. And right now what's giving me most fun is doing that. So for me, it's just, would be successful without mean that I had 15, 20 years of maybe 30, uh, whichever, like uh, depending what world point would you consider being successful, but of just constant fun and constant learning. Something, I mean, we've spoken a bit about snowboarding and all of that, but uh, I mean, I'm really nerdy when it comes to chess. I've been playing chess. I used to play a lot of competitions in chess. Now I, now I don't know. Now I just play sometimes tournaments, but I'm a bit rusty. But then it goes back to learning more tricks in chess. It's becoming a better chess player and your ELO increasing. But for me, it's a big source of happiness is development. So there's a lot of stuff that maybe other people find very interesting that I unfortunately don't. But something that is really cool for me is seeing a progression in myself. It's, uh, let's say, self-development. But I think that's what it, what it comes to being a successful entrepreneur is someone that has, for me, it's someone who's had a lot of fun and is satisfied that they've done it. I think, sure, the successful entrepreneur could be someone who's exited for a lot or, I mean, people put a lot of emphasis on exit, right? I think also just running a company, not exiting is also a big thing, right? Uh, let's say Berkshire Hathaway, there's no necessity for him to Warren Buffett to exit, right? I think he's successful, the fact, even though he's not exiting, but of course the VC culture and everything put a lot of focus on exits, but then yeah, you can also say an IPO is an exit. So then that considers, right? But for me, it's just someone who is satisfied with the amount of time and the sacrifice that has gone into life. They're still happy that they've done it. That's like where if, if I would see myself as a successful entrepreneur is in 30 years time, having looked back for me, instead of let's say, meeting more girls or whatever it is that yeah, a lot of people do when they're 20, it's, uh, hey, I was spending more time with family and everything. It's to be satisfied that I've invested all of this time to both, of course, grow Vimbu, but also grow myself. Strangely enough, that is incredibly challenging because what we do, we have to make sure that the business aligns, that the business is able to provide for this growth we need, but that's when we do get it down, that's the amazing part. If we can build any type of business to provide what we're trying to do, all of a sudden we get more flexibility and that success in building something that allows you to then pursue the things you want, I think is really good. You are looking at such a big thing that the type of growth you're going to be looking at to achieve is significant. And it's going to be really fun to see what you do along this because I love the way you've approached this. You know, one of the things I always laugh sometimes is someone who's given a lot of thought and put a lot of work in doing something can actually say something simpler than someone who is sort of winging it. And you're like, you know, I'm going to do hard work and all these things and kind of go out. And it's like, yeah, I can see very much the deliberateness behind what you're doing here. And when I first heard about the app, I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. Now I'm like, 
shite. This is really cool. <laughs> you know, this is big. And that's the fun part. But it's even more cool what you're trying to do as the entrepreneur in doing so. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I'm really excited to see where you guys go with this. And I would love to have you come back down the road as you continue to expand, because I just think you're in such an interesting transition point right now as you go out. It would be really cool to see a little further down into this larger market, into these other opportunities, into these other locations to see what you're feeling about growing here. It's going to be really cool. However this happens, it's going to be very cool see what happens for you. Yeah, those are really great words. And thank you, AJ. I think the excitement from within the team is it's as well. And I know it's a big thing, but that's cool for us. I'd love to come back here as well at some point. Cool. So besides learning more about the app and the service, where can people find out about that? And then be more about just your efforts as an entrepreneur. How can people find out more about what you're doing? The app, if you just search V-I-M-B-U, there are many competitors that have the same name because that's specifically yeah, the reason yeah. why we chose it, right? But if you, if you just search us anywhere, except like, I mean, don't put it into your calculator, but anywhere else, if you just search us, uh, you'll probably find us. App Store, if you want to go on our website, I'm going to go to our social media. Yeah, next time you go skiing, I mean, now we're speaking in April, right? So it's most likely going to be for the next season, but just know that there's an alternative mm-hmm. to not, sure. yeah, exactly, to the South America, which we expanded to last year. Last year we were in Argentina, but that's a whole other conversation. Oh, wow. uh, there's quite a, yeah, there's a lot of difficulties as well with the South America when it comes to accepting payments, like uh, the blue dollar rate, basically there's the official rate, but then everyone in the country uses a different rate. But yeah, how you can find us, just search for VIMBU anywhere. And hopefully, I mean, we're going to expand a bit more right now internally on being more fun than just a typical corporate social media channel. So we, we have a couple cool series coming up on our YouTube channel. Hopefully by the time this comes up, we'll have episode one. You can check that out and hopefully you get into the spirits of going into the backcountry and ski. As for myself, This is where I'm not great at uh, self-promoting. And I think it's really hard to keep up with what I'm doing. I think if you just look at Vimbu, that's probably stuff what I'm doing. I guess you could connect with me on LinkedIn, but my main goal is to grow the image of Vimbu, not necessarily that much of myself, or at least it has been so far. Maybe it's not the best thing, especially if you want to, let's say, raise a new round. And I know that a lot of companies, when you think about Tesla, you think about Elon Musk, all of that. There is, of course, a relation to it. But then there's a lot of great companies which maybe don't know the people who are running it and they're doing a great job. But if I could have 1 million people know about Vimbu or know about myself, I'd rather them right now know about Vimbu. Mm-hmm. So yeah, V-I-M-B-U, nope. search it anywhere. Yep, I agree. I think, you know, it has to be what fits, but sometimes I think it's easy for people to fit more around their own, you know, their own personal de- audience development versus building you know, awareness of their own company. Sad of investing in some people that have done that. I love the concept of what you're working with them. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, AJ. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you again for listening to this. This was a lot of fun talking with Kodoro. Um, please share this episode if you enjoyed it with someone you think will learn something from it. I would greatly appreciate it. And it would be great if hopefully they subscribe too because then we can continue having cool entrepreneurs come on the show and learning from the great journeys they're on. So, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Can't wait to talk to you again. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. 
And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.